How's everybody doing? Thank, thank you, Ian. I appreciate it, man. Hey, if this is your first time here, um, man, we're so glad you're here. My name is Parker, and I get to be one of the uh, speaker guys, communicators throughout the semester, so I'm glad to be here. But we're really glad you're here, and we want to encourage you to stick around for some wings afterwards. And uh, we probably need to order some more. I'm just going to throw that out there because there's a lot of you here. But seriously, we're really glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to say a few things, and then I'll pray and jump into the message. But if you got one of these, make sure you're paying attention to it at some point in the night. Um, this is really important. We're going to do something for the first time uh, ever at the house. And for this whole semester, we're going to walk through one book. And I know some of you, that sounds boring. To some of you, that sounds really exciting. Uh, but here's how this is going to work, though. We're going to kick it off tonight, and then we'll have another house in two weeks. But then in February, what's going to happen is we're going to start these groups, which are going to be really cool all throughout the city. And wherever we pick up, so if I end in verse 14 in a few weeks, in groups, you're going to pick up in verse 15, and you're going to go for a section, and then we'll come back. We're not going to repeat any. So if you want to catch all of James, you've got to be here, and you've got to be in a group because we're going to walk through it every single week. We're not going to repeat. So your group won't be, hey, let's talk about what you heard two weeks ago. It'll be, no, here's where we picked off, or here's where we ended. Let's pick up where he ended and go a few verses, and then we'll come back here and gather together, walk through a few more. Does that make sense? So for you to catch the whole book, you got to be here and you got to be in a group. And we would love for you to jump in a group, uh, to get connected with some friends, and to discuss God's word together. It's going to be awesome. So um, also... I want to give a uh, quick hello to Randy. You guys, a lot of you know Randy Odom. He's invested so much time and heart into this ministry, and he had to catch a flight for some meetings that came up, but he's going to listen to this because he's going to pick up where I left off. So Randy, thanks so much for all you do, and uh, enjoy the podcast or whatever it's called. I don't know what it is, uh, which will be cool. So I'm going to read our text for tonight, and then I will pray, and we'll jump in. So this is James 1. Verse 1, it says this, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I just pray for me tonight, Father. I pray that this would uh, not be about me at all. God, I just invite your spirit here. Um, Father, we confess that we need you. And uh, God, I pray that your word would speak, that you would increase, I would decrease. And um, if you're comfortable, house, um, I'm going to give you just a few seconds to pray and ask the Lord to, to teach you in the next few moments. And then if you don't mind, if you'll just pray for me, uh, that the Lord would use me and that I would be helpful to you. So God, we love you, and we trust you. Use this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the last week for me has been interesting. I've been on the house hunt. Is anybody else on the house hunt so I'm not alone? Anybody else in here? Okay, awesome. One of you. Very cool. Okay, two. So one of the things that I've been doing is I've been all over Zillow, of course, and looking around. I was driving around last week. And uh, my friends have advised me that when you're looking at different houses, to look at the price per square foot. And 
So I've been walking through some of these houses and uh, knowing the price per square foot and just picturing one of these little squares like on the ground and picturing that amount of money in each little square, and it adds up really quick, doesn't it? Uh, So I was looking around, and it's funny, um, certain houses, like if you live in Cordova, I'm not knocking you if you live in the dirty Dova, but uh, Cordova is about 80-ish dollars per square foot. But then when you get into East Memphis, um, it's about 100 Olive Branch. I got wild and started looking out there a little bit. It was 115. But then, I'm from Collierville. I grew up in Collierville. Houses in Collierville are 215-ish dollars per square foot. They are insane. I will never be able to live on my own in Collierville. It's crazy. But it's funny, though. Y'all are going to think I'm weird. As I'm walking through some of these houses and picturing $215 in every little square um, and feeling sick to my stomach, the first thought or one of the thoughts that came to my mind was this reminds me of the book of James. And some of you are like, I don't see how that connects at all. Well, in my study of James in the past few weeks, the interesting thing about James, and we'll see that it's really cool, but it's also really dangerous, is that James probably has the most percentage, the highest percentage of commands in, the Bible, or in a book of the Bible. It's chock full of commands. In fact, Douglas Moo, he wrote this commentary on James, which is incredible. You guys are going to hear a lot about Doug Moo over the semester. Um, but he says this, James has a higher frequency of imperatives than any other book in the New Testament. And in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, an imperative verb is a command. And percentage-wise, James is a pretty short book, but it has more commands percentage-wise than any other book in the New Testament. It is chock full of just clear commands. Do this, don't do this, start doing this, quit doing this. It is chock full. In fact, because of that, James is one of the books, um, I get to work with students here at our church, it's one of the books that I recommend a lot to students. And I got really convicted of that in the last few weeks. Uh, We usually recommend John and James, but here's the great thing about James. As we walk through it this semester, there's going to be a lot of clear-cut things. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But the danger in that is if we're not careful, and I hope that we keep referring back to this verse and this talk, because if we're not careful, we can, and we have a a tendency to do this, we can reduce Christianity and following Jesus to keeping a list. And I hope that we keep reminding ourselves that this is not about list keeping, as we're going to see tonight. But if we're not careful, we can reduce this whole following Jesus thing down to just keeping a list. Because some of you, if I were to ask you, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian, what would you do? You would just start rattling off a list, wouldn't you? Well, you pray, you go to church, you do these things, and on and on and on and on and on we go. And in fact, some of you, you may be in here tonight, and you might have walked away from this whole Christianity thing because it was a list, or you saw it as a list. And you kept trying to do all these things on the list and you kept failing and you kept feeling bad about yourself and you would try harder the next time and you just felt like you couldn't keep up the list so you gave up on it. And I'm here to tell you tonight as we'll see in this verse and it's not about list keeping. And what's more dangerous is that as we walk through this and as we look at these different commands and things, some of you may see it as a list and I think the more dangerous thing than failing at the list is you'll keep the list. Is you'll do great at it because you love list keeping. And you'll remember all these commands and you'll start doing them. And what you'll do is you'll stand, you'll stand up high on your ability to, to keep all these lists and you'll look down on the people that can't. 
And like Will talked about Sunday, if you missed that message, check it out on YouTube. You'll, you'll become an older brother who looks down on the people who can't keep the list. And the good thing about this text is it's not about list keeping. The good thing about Christianity and following Jesus is it's not about keeping a list. And James was not trying to give us just a list of things to do, as we'll see in the text. So let's look at James 1 one more time. Here's what it says. It'll be on the screens. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, what does this phrase to the 12 tribes in the dispersion mean? Because it's a really important phrase in the text, and this is actually the phrase that helps us know when James wrote this letter, to the 12 tribes in dispersion. It's a really important phrase, and what he's referring to is early on in the New Testament church, actually in Acts chapter 7, there was this guy named Stephen, and he was stoned. And so we can gather from this that James wrote this letter to the church in the 40s. And I mean 40s with like no numbers before that, just like 40s. He wrote this letter to the church. And what happened was Jesus was crucified on the cross. He rose again. He appeared to many people. Um, he appeared to Peter. He restored Peter. He said, it's necessary that I go. Acts chapter 1, he says, you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to build my kingdom. And Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples obey him. They go and the day of Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes down on them. And all of this stuff is starting to happen. And it's awesome. They go and preach to the the surrounding area, people come to know Jesus, hundreds of people come to know Jesus, signs and wonders are happening, and then what happens in Acts chapter 7 is this guy named Stephen gets arrested, and he gets stoned to death for following Jesus, and he's the first ever martyr, he's the first person ever killed for following and believing in Jesus, and after that, look at what the very next verse, Stephen dies at the end of Acts chapter 7, look at this, Acts chapter 8 verse 1, it says this, and Saul approved his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what happens, Stephen dies, he gets stoned, and then the people start to scatter. And then in Acts 11, it says this, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, I'm going to call it that, yeah, whatever, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So this is who James is writing to. He's writing to the church, he's writing to the Jewish folks that had turned and converted and believed in Jesus, that were following him, that were preaching, and then they scatter. And James, in the 40s, the mid-40s, is writing this letter to these people that are scattered about in fear of their lives because they're getting persecuted for believing in Jesus. This is who he's writing to. So that's who he wrote it to, and that's when it was written. So for the next few weeks, and honestly the rest of the semester, we've got to keep that in mind, that James is writing to the scattered group of people who are afraid for their lives, and he's encouraging them to follow Jesus. And then the most important thing, though, about James, and it's really where we're going to camp out here tonight, is who he was. Who James was was incredibly important. And church, early church tradition tells us that James, the James that wrote this, was Jesus' half-brother. And that may, might be the biggest surprise for some of you tonight, to know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. And they used the term half-brother, obviously, because Jesus was born of Mary and the Holy Spirit. Nobody else was ever born like that. But for all intents and purposes, Jesus and his brothers and sisters, they had the same earthly parents. They were all raised by Mary and Joseph. 
So they were really close. When we hear half-brother, we think there's a little distance there, uh, but this was a tight-knit group, same earthly parents. But Jesus had brothers and sisters, and it was an interesting journey for them to believe in Jesus. And if you're like, how does that happen? Let me ask you, what would it take your sibling to convince you that they were the son or daughter of God? It wouldn't happen, would it? What would it take your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? Yeah, it wouldn't happen. And it was an interesting journey for James because James just didn't instantly believe and go, you are the son of God, I will worship. It didn't happen that way. And we'll see here, um, there's different moments in the scriptures that are pretty powerful moments along the journey for James. But he didn't just receive it and believe it. And there's actually this moment in the book of Mark where Jesus, early in the book of Mark, where Jesus had already performed these incredible miracles. He was teaching. He was doing incredible things. News about him was spreading throughout the area. And uh, Jesus shows up to a house. He actually shows up to his house. And it says he can't even eat. It's so crowded. Like these thousands of people show up to his own home. And this is what happens. Look at Mark chapter 3. It says this. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, check this out. It doesn't say they worshiped. It says they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Imagine what that's like. Jesus' own family. Now get him off the stage. Like Take the mic from him. Oh, sorry. When he you know, has a lot to eat, he thinks he's the Messiah. Like, don't listen to him. He's a little crazy, right? And they start to say, no, 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 no. Like, get him off the stage. Take the mic away from him. He's out of his mind. This is Jesus' own family. This is his brothers and sisters. Say, no, 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 no. Like, he, don't, don't pay attention. He's out of his mind. And then a few verses later, verse 31, they get there, and it says this. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Crazy. You see the tension already. They go, hey, Jesus, hold on just a second. Your family's out here, and they want you. And he goes, wait, who's my family? These people are my family, the people who want to do the will of God. You see, it's not easy having a family member who's the son of God, right? It wasn't as easy as we think it was, and they're really struggling to figure this thing out. And later on, in um, John chapter 7, there's another moment in his ministry Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He had walked on water. I mean, he was getting famous. The news about him was spreading throughout the area. And he's supposed to go to this feast. It's called the Feast of Booths, which is interesting. Not booze, B-O-O-Z-E, but booths, like B-O-O-T-H. He's supposed to go to this feast, and there's going to be thousands of people there. And look at what his family says to him in John chapter 7. It says this, after this, Jesus went out in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he is to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed him. So what are they doing here? They're saying, hey man, go to the crowds, go out in the open, go start teaching this thing, and they're trying to push him out in the open because they think he's going to make a fool of himself. 
Hey, go out there and teach. Go do your thing. They'd given up on trying to get them to stop talking, so now they're like, let's just put them in, in, in front of many people as we can so they'll just realize that he's crazy. Let's put them out there. And they say go, because why? They don't believe in him. And this starts to affect Jesus' own ministry in his hometown. We see in Matthew 13, verse 53, it says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not, this, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these sayings? And they took offense at him. So Jesus gets rejected by his own people. Why? Because this idea, this notion that even his family didn't believe in him. They didn't know what he was doing was true. That they were somewhat against it started to spread, and his whole hometown even rejects him. But something crazy happens, because years later, Paul is writing, Saul had become Paul, and Paul is writing, and he says something in Galatians 2, which does not sound like the James we know. And it's so interesting. He says this, Galatians 2, verse 9, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me that gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And we're not gonna get into circumcision and all that stuff, but here's what's happening. Paul's writing a letter to the Galatians and he refers to these guys, James and Cephas and John, Cephas also meaning Peter, and he's saying this, that these guys are pillars of the church. James somehow became a pillar of the church so what happened to James? What happened in his life? There's an incredible verse. I want to read it to you, 1 Corinthians 15. This is what happened to James. This is Paul writing. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's the gospel. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. So what happened to James? He met the resurrected Jesus. Imagine what that meeting was like. Your whole life, you'd been doubting, you'd kind of been opposed to this movement. You didn't really trust that your brother said or was who he said he was. You even resisted it a little bit. You caused some stumbling blocks in what he was trying to accomplish. And Jesus shows up and he is killed. He, he wasn't killed, he gave his life away. He gives his life on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead and he appears to these different people. He appears to Peter, then to the 12, then 500 brothers at one time. Then he appears to James. And he went and found his baby brother. And we don't know what that meeting was like. But based on his meeting with Peter and others, we know that he did not shame him. He did not condemn him. He did not show up and say, I told you so. He did not show up and say, surprise, 
this is why I don't look like dad. Like, he didn't say any of that stuff. You know what he did? He showed up, and just based on the character of God and Jesus' other interactions, we know that he showed up and he said, James, this was for you. This was for the world. I love you. I forgive you. I don't shame you. I died for you. And he shows up, and here's what he actually does. He gives James a new identity. Because James' old identity was a mocker, he was a doubter, he was a rebeller, he was a criticizer, he was an unbeliever. And Jesus shows up and he says, no man, you're forgiven. And you're loved. And you're redeemed. And you're chosen. And here's what I want you to see, is a new identity produces a new activity. James gets this new identity. He was resisting. He was mocking. He was rebelling. But he gets this new identity that's chosen and loved and secure and redeemed and forgiven. And this new identity that Christ gave him produces a new activity in his life. And James goes on to be a pillar of the church. And this is what James is getting at in the letter. This is why it's so important that James starts the letter of James, the book of James, with this verse right here. Because it's not about, Jesus didn't show up, Jesus, James didn't write the letter of James, Jesus didn't come down to this earth, Jesus didn't die on the cross to fix our outward behavior. He didn't show up to give us a list to keep. That's not why he came. He did not show up to give us a to-do list to follow him. That's not it at all. He came to fix us on the inside because we were dead. He didn't come to make us pretty on the outside, he came to revive us on the inside. That's why he came. And that's why he showed up to James. Jesus says this in Matthew 12. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. That's what he was doing. He knew that we were dead in our sin. He came to make us alive, not to make us be good people, not to make us behave. He came to make dead people alive, not to come and make bad people good. You hear this, that kind of saying or that phrase a lot. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He's not, James is not writing this letter. Here's how you follow Jesus. You keep this list. And it's so important that we see that. This is what happened at the woman at the well. John chapter four, if you guys know the story, Jesus appears to a woman at the well, right? And she's there in the middle of the day. She's there at noon and she's hiding in a way. She's had five husbands and the guy she's with now is not her husband. And Jesus shows up to her and he speaks to her. And not only is she a Samaritan, but she's also a woman, and those were two boundaries that no men broke in that day, no Jewish man, and Jesus pursues her, he speaks to her, and what does he do? He doesn't show up to her and say, hey, you need to stop sleeping around, you need to break up with the dude you're with. He doesn't go to her behavior. What does he do? He goes to her heart, and he says, hey, I see you, I know everything you've done, and I'm still here, and I'm offering you living water to where you'll never be thirsty again. You're chosen, you're redeemed, you're loved. And what happens? She receives this living water and this new identity, chosen, redeemed. She went from outcast, she went to shamed, from shame. She went from all of these negative identities, she gets this new identity, I've redeemed, I'm chosen, I'm forgiven, I've loved. And that new identity produces a new activity where this woman who was hiding, she was drawing water in the middle of the day when no one else would, she goes running through the town proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Come and see this man. Shy, doesn't have a voice, trying to hide from society, goes to running down the middle of the aisle, running down the middle of the city with a voice, proclaiming Jesus Christ to her whole town. Why? Because a new identity produces a new activity. Every single time. And this is the gospel. 
He didn't give her a list. Before James gives us any commands in this book, he takes us to the cross. Before he gives us anything to do, he takes us to what Christ has already done. This is not, this letter, as we're gonna walk through it this semester, is not a to-do list to be a Christian. James Start was saying, no, 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 no. See, I was rebelling, I was against this movement, I was a mocker, but now I'm forgiven, and I'm redeemed, and I'm whole, and I'm chosen. And this new identity produces this new activity in us. This is the gospel. Jesus did not show up to give us a to-do list. He came after your heart, and he's always been after your heart. And as we walk through this, this is the gospel, that before we do anything, we focused on what Christ has done for us. This is all of the books in the New Testament. Most of the books in the New Testament always start with, here's what Christ has done, now here's what we do in response to what he's done. This is the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is chock full, it is rich with good theology, but a lot of people don't know this, there's one command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. There's six chapters in Ephesians. The first three chapters, there's one command, and the command is the word remember. Remember what Christ has done. Remember his goodness. Remember his love for you. Remember how he's redeemed you. And then chapter four goes into, here's how we respond to what he's done for us. Remember that you've been bought. Remember that he gave his life for you. Remember that he knows everything about you and still died for you. Remember his grace. Now here's how we respond. That's the gospel. It's funny the people that actually were really good at keeping the lists in the New Testament were the people that Jesus fought with the most. It was the Pharisees. They were great at keeping lists. They were awesome at keeping lists. They prided themselves in keeping lists. Jesus, look at how great I am. I, I obey all these rules. We even added rules that I obey. Look at how great I am at keeping lists. And what did Jesus say? He said, you're whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside, but you're dead in the inside. He says, you honor me with your lips, but what, your hearts are far from me. Why? Because Jesus wasn't after a to-do list. Jesus wasn't after a behavior list. He has always been after your heart. And before James gives us a single command, full, lots of commands coming in the next few weeks, but we have to remember as we walk through these commands that before he gives us any command, he stops at the cross. He says, this is what Christ has done for us, and this is how we respond. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We can never deserve it. We can never earn it. It is solely by the grace and the mercy of God that we've been given new life, that we've been given new birth, and here's how we respond because of his goodness. You don't go obey to earn God's love. You obey because you're loved. We don't obey for his love. We obey from his love. In light of the cross, here's how we're to live. I'm running out of time here. I'm gonna close with this um, this illustration, and then um, we'll pick up in verse 2 in a few weeks. Um, but I've got a friend, his name's Robert, and uh, I'm not married, so I get to hang out with a lot of people at our church and stuff, and I just invade people's space uh, because that's what single people do. And uh, so one of the things that I've done, um, I can say that, I guess, because I'm single too, but one of the things that I have tried to do in my life is intentionally surround myself with people that I respect and people that live lives that ultimately I want my future to resemble. 
one day. So I have made an effort to surround myself with people that have great marriages, uh, with people that uh, are raising their kids the way that I would want to raise my kids, and I just kind of bother them. I invade their space. I hang out with them. And this family has been so good to kind of take me in and let me come over all the time for dinner and stuff and play with their kids and all this stuff. And I just want to learn from them. And one of the things... Um, and just learning his story, Robert is an incredible friend of mine, his wife, Nicole, they've got four kids, um, so it's a little crazy at their house. But um, one of the things, as I've just kind of learned his story, is that um, incredible story of how he met Nicole. And one of the things that married people do, um, they did not sit down one day and just write out a list and say, you know what, well, what are the pros of marriage? Well, uh, you get a second income in your bank account. Uh, you get someone to watch Netflix with. Uh, you have a friend. You get to do all these. Nobody presented him with a list. He didn't sit down and write a list. You know what happened? Nicole walked in the room, and he fell in love. And that new identity of I love you, I'm going to pursue you, that created a new activity. And then they got married. And you know what they did on their wedding night? They did not go back to a hotel and write lists. Here's what you're going to do as a husband. You're going to take out the trash. You're going to do this. Here's what you're going to do as a wife. You're going to keep the budget. You're going to do all that. They didn't sit down and write lists. Heck no, it was right. <laughs> you know what they did? That new identity, husband and wife. They fell in love with each other. They committed their lives to each other. They made a covenant to each other. And that new identity produced a new activity in them. Where I'm going to love you and I'm going to serve you. This heart change, this internal change produced an external change in their lives. It's the same thing with Jesus. That the more we see him, the more we get to know him, the more we fall in love with him, and the more we fall in love with him, the more that our lives and our actions and our hearts and our thoughts and our behaviors change. We don't behave to earn his love. And as we walk through these commands, I just want to caution us and be really careful that we don't see these as ways to earn God's love. No, it's not about list keeping. It's about intimacy. As we walk through these, as you come to know the goodness and the grace of God through Jesus Christ on the cross, you say, I love him, and I want to get to know him. And the more you get to know him, the more you fall in love with him. And the more you fall in love with him, the more you get to know him. And as that keeps happening, suddenly our thoughts start to change. And I want to honor you with my life, and I want to obey you, and I want to please you, and I want to proclaim you to the world. And suddenly, because what's happened in our heart, this new identity that he's given us produces a new activity in our lives. And that's what we're going to see as we walk through the book of James. And James goes, hey, I was just a little brother I was just Jesus' little bro, but now I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns me. I'm a slave. He's the master. He has bought my life. I owe everything to him, and I'm going to give everything to him. He was just my little bro, but now he's, or my big bro, but now he's my savior, and he's my Lord. I have a new identity, and it's producing this new activity. So here is how we're supposed to live. Does that make sense? pick up next time in, in verse two. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we're so grateful for the cross. God, we're so grateful for your love that before we ever did any commands, before we could ever please you, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. God, that you pursued us before we were ever looking at you. So God, I pray before we try to do anything, to honor and please you, God, that we would remember the cross. God, that we would remember your love for us, 
we would remember your forgiveness for us. God, we would remember the identity that you've given us in you. God, as we know you, as we seek you, as we pursue you, God, that that identity will produce a new activity in us. Father, be with us this semester. We're so excited to walk through this letter. God, not to do things, but to know you and know your heart. Be with us. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.